French and Saunders, Morecambe and Wise, Ant and Deck, we love a double act. And food is no different. You've only got to think about fish and chips, ham and eggs, lamb and mint. There's literally hundreds of great combinations out there. Today, I'm doubling down on double acts because I'm welcoming one half of one of the UK's most recognizable pairings to the farm. And we're working on the perfect complimentary drink to pair with my food. The purple parachute sensation was sticky, dirty, mucky, and always ended in a snog. Mel Gedroich is here, and she's been tasked with making cocktails. Cheers, guys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go in. Oh, it's so, it's deliciously fresh. That. My name is Tommy Banks, and this is my podcast, Seasoned. Every week, I take you behind the scenes of my restaurant, the Black Swan, and my farm, where we grow all of the ingredients which make it onto the menu. It's April. Can you believe it? April the 5th, and this is Seasoned, Episode 7, Mel Gedroich and the Purple Parachute. Before we begin, I want to say a thank you to our sponsors. This podcast is only possible because of True Foods. True Foods are an incredible family business who make the best stocks and sauces. True Foods provides stocks to some of the best kitchens in the UK. One, two, and three Michelin-style restaurants use their stocks as the base for their recipes. And now, their stocks and sauces are available for you to buy at home too. I'll tell you more about them later in the episode, but you can check out their product range and find lots more information in our show notes. I'm not going to lie, it's been quite a week. The mission announcement last week was a blast and all of the team at both my restaurants were delighted to hear that we kept our stars. But now the work begins to try and go one better in 2024. We won't be making major changes. Receiving the stars mean that, you know, we're doing it all right. But we'll be looking for every opportunity to refine things even further, to be a bit more consistent and, you know, try and add another few special dishes to the menu. Since we've announced more details on the pub, we've had people getting in touch and asking to be a part of it. We've held a careers day and the menu is coming along really nicely. And out on the farm, it's finally looking like spring is in the air. I know I've said this about three times already this year, but I think the cold weather is finally behind us. The sun is shining and it's looking great. We started planting seeds in our polytunnels. Uh, we're up to nine calves now. And our first lambs are due any day. I can't wait. I know you'll have seen lambs out in the fields. Hours a little bit later to the party, but they should be here soon. But today's episode doesn't involve any of the livestock or any cooking. When I saw who was coming up to visit, I thought my next guest might be the ideal helping hand to create something brilliant for our pre-dinner drinks list. Mel! Oh, Tommy. Thank you so much for coming up to see us. I love the way you bowed. You actually bowed. I'm going to curtsy. Oh, <laughs> I don't think I'm worthy. <laughs> you really, really are. Trust me. Mel Gedroich is most known for being one half of Mel and Sue. Together they hosted Great British Bake Off. They've enjoyed stellar careers as a pairing and individually. And Mel is a proper food and drink lover who jumped at the chance to visit us up here in Yorkshire. I, listen, can I just paint a slight picture? We've got beautiful snowflakes falling outside. It couldn't be more picturesque. We're in a cosy, lovely, oaken bar area with a fire roaring. I can't believe it. 
It was only 10 days ago that Mel was here, and honestly, it was snowing. But there's always a warm welcome here in the Black Swan. I thought spring was coming, but apparently it's not. Yeah. On a day like today, you've got to just get next to a fire in a pub, haven't you? And just feel good. Is that is that furniture polish as well that I'm smelling? Yeah, it's my favourite smell, furniture polish. So I, I'm with you. Mm. I'm with you. I, I want to lie down on a leather bonquette and go to sleep. Well, I, no offence to the podcast. Can, that can be arranged. With what we've got planned today, that yeah. might actually be the end result. So oh no, that could serious. Well. well, I should probably introduce you to Seamus at this point. Hi Seamus, Hello. Hello. Seamus. lovely to meet you, lovely to meet you. Seamus is our restaurant manager, but he's also the expert in all things booze. So wine, but especially cocktails. <gasps> cocktails. All the fun stuff. Yeah. Can I just say here and now, Tommy and Seamus, I am the world's worst drinker. Perfect. I just have to look <laughs> at a bottle of something and I'll be out. No, genuinely. Yeah? Yeah, I'll be out. Sounds perfect. Okay, good. Okay, maybe Mel wasn't the ideal guest for an episode all about booze after all. Never mind. Do you know, I had my first espresso martini ever about a week ago. Transformative. Yeah. Tra something with heavy with caffeine is a really good idea. I'm excited to bring Seamus into the podcast. He's a key part of the team. He's the restaurant manager here at the Black Swan, and day to day, he's across pretty much everything. It's his job to know who's dining with us. He's got to prep the front of house team for service, welcome the guests, deal with any one of a million questions or queries that can crop up. And if that wasn't enough, he's also our in-house specialist on all things booze. When you arrive as a guest, you, you come in, you sit down, uh, in front of the fire, you then decide on a rival drink while you're looking <gasps> over your menu. A rival um, drink? What? Absolutely. Um, got to set the tone, <laughs> you know. Uh, but with it, there's a few different bits and bobs. Um, right. We're going to try and uh, change things up a little bit, so I thought you could give us a hand <gasps> with that this afternoon. And of course, the drinks that we serve our menu have to have the same seasonal ethos, ingredients and quality as the food. Hang on. What, I mean, what is seasonal at the moment? Uh, I'm well, seeing a yew tree. Yes, that's Essence that's the uh, the challenge that and we have. Um, what else? What else? We've got four rhubarb. Uh, there's wild garlic come through as well. You don't, don't want a wild, wild garlic, garlic cocktail, though. I was no. going to say. <laughs> so I think we'll stick to the rhubarb. Before Mel can give us a hand, she'll be given a full tour of our palace of preserves, a secret stash down at the farm where we house all our pickled, fermented, and preserved ingredients. And we've never let anybody into the booze container before. You're joking. Am I the first? First person. You yeah. are, is it under lock and key? It is. Quite is it? Yeah. Is yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, Who's got the keys? You, obviously, yes. Seamus. Yeah. 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 Tommy, obviously. No, I don't get a key. I'm not trusted. Okay. Uh, for good reason. Okay. For good reason. <laughs> and there's like red tape over certain things which you, no one's allowed to touch. So I, I think we should go in there and find some, some of your most interesting ingredients and make a cocktail which suits the weather absolutely should we go do a bit of digging yeah you're really speaking to my central european roots as well <laughs> everything is pickled and preserved i mean you have to for, because of the weather yeah i love pickling anything preserved literally i'm there and all that area also very good at infusing things in alcohol and drinking it so they're the best drinkers the, Lith <laughs> the lithuanians but particularly did you but you didn't get that gene well, my my dad was so disappointed in me. I was <laughs> I was good up to the age of forty, and then thereafter, hopeless. I don't know what happened. I can't tell if Mel is just kidding me when she says she's not a seasoned drinker, but I guess we'll find out. 
It's open. Ready and waiting. Ready wow. and waiting. The Palace of Preserves may sound luxurious, and well, I guess it is. So long as you don't judge the appearance. It's a shipping container in the middle of the farm, which has no lights either. There's a good reason it stays locked, though, because anyone who found their way inside might never escape. But I can't wait for Mel to see what's there. So with torches at the ready, we step into the drinks container for a bit of a forage. So uh, in here, this is, well, these are, well, it's just the, the finished booze compartment. Oh. So uh, there are other shipping containers where we've got longer term yeah. things being matured, but. Uh, so much stuff in here, look at this. Tincture, what hogweed tincture. Hang on, hogweed's really poisonous, isn't it? Yes, so... Um, <laughs> we should maybe move the hogweed slightly further from the door. We actually harvest it when it's uh, dried and, and dead at the end of the year. So it's the, it's the sap, when the sap gets on your skin, and then when it reacts with the UV light from the sun, it that's blisters. when it'll, it'll it blister blisters. and scar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Thankfully, there's lots more recognisable spirits on the shelves too. There's a really good smell in here. It's quite hard to sort of put your finger on. It's like... Do you know what? It, to me, this smells like we're in Elizabethan times. Oh. In a good way. I feel like we've walked, but we should be wearing ruffs. The whole point of this container is to serve as an extension of what we do in the restaurant. Just as Dickie is preserving the ingredients for the menu, well, Seamus is prepping drinks, aging them, experimenting to make concoctions you can't order at any other bar. What so, is a tincture so when it's at home? A tincture from, like, my kind of take on a tincture is basically something that's very heavily infused so there's no sugar in these we're actually extracting a lot of bitterness from the chlorophyll of the plant as well so you we can use it as a, a seasoning so if you're thinking along the lines of negronis and and cocktails like that we can actually add bitterness to order with a flavor profile on top of that as well so almost like a flavored salt that would be used in the kitchen that's kind of our salt as such I like that. What's your favourite cocktail? Listen, I'm very, my standards are very, very low. Can I just say, <laughs> I'm going to put that out here. This, for me, honestly, guys, this is absolute ruddy heaven. I mean, cocktail-wise, I'm going to go with the one I had most recently, which was the espresso martini, because I'm like that. I'm very faddish. I tell you what, though, I spent a lot of my earlier youth uh, with the purple parachute cocktail. I'm not, I'm, I'm what, saying it's a cocktail. I'm, what is a purple parachute? Oh, it's, uh, hang on, so it's got some purple in it. It's, um, what is purple? Hang on, it's cassis, it's got to be cassis maybe. No, it's not that classy. I think it might have been Ribena, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> we had to check, and a purple parachute was a pretty lethal concoction of lager, cider, and black currant. And cards on the table, it's not what we'd prepared for. Before Mel arrived, I'd asked Seamus to perhaps think of something with rhubarb in mind. We hadn't thought about a lagery, cidery tipple, but I'm glad Seamus is the expert rather than me. Sue maintains that when we were at university, she couldn't find me one evening. She says she followed the splats of purple oh, vomit over the streets to find me. And she was dead right. She found me slumped <laughs> in some sort of terrible situation. We've got some slow gin on the go at home and we put them into those big sort of jars and we have to leave them for a year, Shane. Yeah. Well, funny you should talk about slow gin. We have, uh, so uh, this ah. is something else that we do as well. So we've got vintages of booze 
as such. So we've got slow gin dating back to 2006 here. That's very slow. 16, should I say. Yeah. Uh, if you'd like to try a drop. I'm genuinely not allowed in here, so I'm prepared to take advantage while the doors are open and taste some of the spirits which have been maturing in here for years. That smells really good. There's only one issue with trying the drinks in Seamus's Palace of Preserves. You don't really know how strong they are. What kind of percentage are we talking here? So with this, the gin that we'll have used that will have been 40%. Can't really put a, an actual percentage on it because we haven't had it tested. But um, we'll just work with the, the Angel share bringing it down. That is really delicious. I've got to say, that is absolutely amazing. I've just had one sip. Have you, are you having the same one, Tommy? Uh, the... I'm actually drinking some Campari, but I would like to try yeah. it. I've been wanting to try this for, well, years, and I've never been allowed, so. Guys, that is feasibly one of the nicest things I've ever tasted. I'm not, I'm not joking. Oh, wow. It's so much more subtle mm. than when you have. When I make slow gin at home, I usually drink it not long after you're supposed to strain it off. But actually leaving it for years like that, it's quite... It's almost porty, isn't it? It's it gorgeous. just softens the alcohol down. It just becomes a lot smoother. That's gone straight to the head, guys. Right, this is game <laughs> over. This episode is now officially contaminated. <laughs> You're going to need to cover me with that red and white tape. Seriously, yeah. that's gone straight to the head. I told you guys I'm a terrible drinker. So just picked up a couple of bits and bobs. So we've got the, the rhubarb schnapps, which I think will make a nice base point to everything. Uh, I don't know if you, there's a few bits and bobs in here that you'd like to use as well. Oh, my eyes drawn to the Jostaberry. I don't even know what a Jostaberry is. But Absolutely delicious. Is it? Yeah. All these things I've never heard of. This is incredible. After nearly an hour sipping and plotting, we emerge back in the daylight with half a dozen containers of different liquors. And back at the restaurant, we'll get stuck into doing some mixing. So, um... Well, brought a few bits and bobs up from the uh, from this Palace of Preserves now. Uh, so uh, we've got something that's purple. <gasps> and we can make a purple parachute with. Yes. Uh, the purple then, splat. Yeah. My earliest drinking memories, if you can call them that, are right here actually in the Black Swan. It was a pretty regular pub back in the day. And when me and my brother ran it in our late teens, it was synonymous with the occasional lock-in. Beer pumps flowing and the dartboard getting plenty of attention. It's a far cry from what you get today, and it seems a far cry from what Mel enjoyed in her formative drinking years as well. As we settle in back at the restaurant, she's telling me more about the purple parachute, the drink she remembers fondly, I think. It was, it was too sweet. Okay. It was sweet and incredibly potent, and anyone over the age of 15 in the Oxfordshire area used to drink it. Cider and lager. Cider and lager. Oh, God, it's just got all the makings mm. of a terrible disco, hasn't it? The purple parachute sensation was sticky, dirty, mucky, and always ended in a snog. I'm sorry. In a bad way. <laughs> in a bad way. I'm right. talking teenage muck. Right. You can manage that, Seamus, surely. Yeah. I just need to flash back a few years. Now Seamus has the challenge of recreating the purple parachute, but it needs to be worthy of making it onto the menu. What we have here, we've got the blackcurrant cassis that you saw down on the yeah. farm. Uh, it's being mixed through with some Benedictine. As in the monks? Yes. Seamus is convinced that the mix of Benedictine and blackcurrant is going to set the tone, though Mel isn't quite as sure. 
Whoa. <coughs> yeah, that, that's pretty much a straight booze, to be fair. So Guys, that's Benelin. That is sheer <laughs> Benelin right there. It would oh. cure a cough, wouldn't it? It, it, um, Mel, would you like to sit down? I think I might have to sit down. <laughs> That's really amazing. You wouldn't want to waste that on Oxfordshire teenagers, though. You really wouldn't. That is class. I hope it's easy to drink once it's mixed with the other elements, but I'm pretty confident Seamus knows what he's doing. Oh, now what have you got there? Uh, so apple and lemon verbena syrup. Oh. So I'm thinking, well, blackcurrant and apple, really nice together. Lemon verbena, Gorgeous. Tommy's favourite herb. And uh, with it, I also thought we could use a lemon verbena pale ale to uh, top it up. So you get the kind of beer, yes, exactly apple that. cidery mix. Exactly that. So good. So good. I'm really excited. He adds a generous measure of the blackcurrant benedictine with apple and lemon verbena syrup and the lemon verbena pale ale with a large quantity of ice and stirs. Uh, so this is our little Mickey take on the purple parachute. <gasps> wow. Tell me, don't this be too is, harsh, tell me what you think. But, this uh, it should it. bring back some memories. Cheers guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in. Purple parachute, mark two. Absolutely. Sorry, that, not, I knocked that back pretty quickly. That's delicious. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to lie, it's pretty extraordinary, and given it's not what we'd prepared for, I'm hugely impressed. And so is Mel. Oh, it's so, it's deliciously fresh, that. I've... Really good. It's not sticky, which is actually a good thing. We need to move on from that. The yeah. teenage years have gone. <laughs> Let's put those behind us. Shame has made it too nice. <laughs> oh. Do you know those diffusers you get in your room? <laughs> I can't say I know about diffusers. To be there's a there's a whiff of a very high end diffuser in there. I've I've become Jilly Golden, guys. I've become so pretentious. <laughs> but it's like you're walking into a beautiful wall of cocktail smell. With that, that is stunning. I reckon there's a good number of guests who, when they come to Black Swan now, will ask for a purple parachute. And I reckon this is the most refined version you'll find anywhere. Later on, I'll be talking to Mel, discussing all things Bake Off, finding out about her new podcast and her own unique love of food. But first, it's time to talk about our sponsors. If you're a regular listener to Seasoned, you'll know all about True Foods, our headline sponsor. True Foods make the most incredible stocks and sauces that are not just used in Michelin-style restaurants, but you can get them at home too. They're a wonderful family business, and I'm absolutely delighted for the Mitchell family and everybody at True Foods, as this week they have signed an amazing deal to be an exclusive supplier to Waitrose. So you can now buy True Foods stocks and sauces in your local Waitrose. So head out there and get them or of course, head to truefoods.com and use the code SEASON10 to get 10% off your order just for listening to the podcast. Thank you for your support. The supplier I'd like to put in the spotlight this week is the Yorkshire Pasta Company. I love this stuff. It's absolutely fantastic. The company was started in 2019 by Catherine Bumby and they make the most incredible pasta. It's slow dried, it's hand finished, it's an incredible product. If you head to yorkshirepasta.co.uk, you see all the amazing shapes and pastas that they make. And honestly, it's some of the best I've ever eaten. 
Earlier, Mel Gedroich joined me and my restaurant manager Seamus as we invented a brand new recipe. Mel steered us to making a grown-up version of the Purple Parachute, a drink which she enjoyed as a student, made with lager, cider and blackcurrant, but which has had the black swan treatment, with apple and lemon verbena, a pale ale and some delicious preserved blackcurrant and benedictine syrups. And with one of those in hand, we sit down to have a chat. Mel has enjoyed an incredible career. Alongside Sue Perkins, she's co-hosted Light Lunch, their own chat show, Mel and Sue, and of course, Great British Bake Off. So it's a privilege to have her with us, and I'm keen to see how much of a foodie Mel really is. And she started by telling me about her roots, from a family in Lithuania and Poland. Well, Mel, that was a lot of fun. I, I, it has gone to my head a little bit, I have Same. to admit. You're Lithuanian-Polish? Yeah, right? exactly. That's your father, right? That was my dad, yeah, okay. absolutely. So your food growing up, so yeah. your dad's Lithuanian-Polish and yeah. mum's English? Pretty, well, she's a bit of a mishmash, but I'd say pretty much English. But we also had my Polish grandmother live with us for quite a lot of my childhood. So we had a real beautiful mix of Polish-English uh, essentially. So what sort of things were you having then? Oh, so I'm salivating as I speak. <laughs> Your pickles really mm. spoke to me. There was a lot of pickling going on. I'm literally salivating. Anything pickled. I love cabbages. I love turnips. I love anything Central European that you can get in a jar with some vinegar and sugar is oh just... Oh, God. I feel like you've come to the right place. Oh, you're speaking my language. Normally, seriously. I'm having to give this the hard sell to people, but I think, we're, I think you're <sighs> going to be fine. You've also come at the right time of year as well, because if you come in the middle of summer, we just cook all the nice, fresh produce. But this time of year, you know, there's not much, as you've seen, there's not <sighs> much fresh produce at all. I cannot wait, seriously. Um, my mum learnt to cook from my Polish grandmother, so my mum is actually a really good cook for, with all the Polish dishes. So there was a lot of things like, there's a great dish called bigos, which is sort of Lithuanian Polish. And I think historically it would have been cooked on the drums. It would have been cooked in the drums on horseback so that the heat from the horse that you're riding through the forest and you're basically foraging, you're collecting things. So you've got your meat and you've got all the stuff that you add. It would have been fermented on horseback. That's, that's, so, so the, the heat from the horse itself and sort yes. of sunlight, I'm presuming, yeah. was enough to cook it? Apparently. This is wow. what my dad always said. Mum used to cook it over about three days on a very, very low heat in her <laughs> gas oven. A lot of dumplings. Nice. I mean, labour intensive, but so delicious. So good. Buckwheat. Love a bit of buckwheat. Oh, I love buckwheat, <gasps> yeah. Kasha, as they call it in that... Polish, yeah with a mm. mushroom sauce, oh my days. So, Stuffed cabbage leaves, that's a big nice. thing. Yeah. You either make it with pork mince or you can have vegetarian version, whatever. Um, then a thing called zapikanka, which is basically all your leftovers. I don't know how mum did it, or Babunya and my grandmother, but they just mixed it all up and it was delicious. Almost. And then good old 70s fare. We're talking Swiss roll, we're talking fish fingers, we're talking all the faves. It was a real sort of hybrid. I loved it. Mum was and is an amazing hostess. Not in a kind of poncy way, but just... In a family way. In a family way. And um, I had my brothers and sisters. I had two foster brothers as well. So it was a lot going on. And it was food was at the epicenter of everything and it still is to be honest in my family like many of my guests mel has been shaped by her early food experiences 
which is culture and ingredients. You know, I mean, it would have been for my mum and certainly for my grandmother, mm. a kind of sin if somebody comes around and you haven't got some food to offer them. God, you know, really, it. really, it's culturally in their kind of DNA, I think. I love um, that though. Yeah. That's a beautiful part of culture, isn't it? Oh, it's the best, it's the best. It's the kind of, it's the ultimate um, icebreaker, isn't it, mm, food? It's mm. the ultimate just bringing together and, you know, clearly, Central European, Polish, Lithuanian, the booze is obviously key. <laughs> I mean, my dad was a champion drinker. Really? He was a very good drinker. He, he created, actually, talking about cocktails as we are, he was reading the book Goldfinger, the right, James yeah, Bond yeah. book, Ian Fleming book, one, one um, summer holiday up in the lakes. And on the first page of Goldfinger, uh, Bond is making a cocktail. So my dad thought this would be a bit of a laugh. He made the cocktail that was described and then called it the Goldfinger. That was his kind of thing. And it blew people's heads off. So it was Was this like the vodka martini shake and that's the But with, with gin in it and with other things, I mean it was just absolutely ridiculous. Anyone who came through the house was subjected to a goldfinger. I never got through a single one, I had to be put to bed, literally. <laughs> so oh, parenting one oh one. Um exactly. that's the thing with martinis though, they are just a mix of neat alcohol. So like it sorts people out, yeah. Yeah, intense. I couldn't invite Mel up to my restaurant without asking her about Bake Off. My wife was a huge Bake Off fan when, when you and Sue were on it. She's absolutely loved it. Every Wednesday in our house was like everything got stopped and you couldn't oh. talk and she would watch Bake Off. Absolutely loved it. Oh, that's really um, lovely. Special, special times. I mean, incredibly fast. successful. Well, listen, that came out of the blue beyond... We did the first series, and I remember phoning Sue and just saying, I don't know what we've done, but it was terrible. <laughs> it was very twee, it was in a tent, but no one's going to watch that show, so don't worry. We've earned a bit of money, it'll go absolutely, <coughs> it'll go under the radar, nobody, honestly, we're safe. Because we were worried, we were genuinely worried, so, so worried. All the attributes that you thought because it's twee and it's in a tent and it's baking. You, they turned out to be all the attributes that people wanted. I mean, who knew? <laughs> it's so weird, isn't it? Life is so strange. Yeah. We just thought, oh my God, this is just, who's interested in this? This is slow. This is kind of harking back to some weird time that we all slightly want to forget. Mm. You know, where everything was slow and a bit odd. Yeah, it, we were bowled over absolutely bold, genuinely bowled over. It's the maddest thing that's ever happened to us in our lives. But brilliant though. I had to have elasticated trousers, Tommy. <laughs> I'd start the series usually, you know, my own yeah. sort of normal weight, fairly sort of normal. And then it would, it, by the end of the series, I was bowling home. I, had a, I was like a barrel. Wow, so I do um, Great British Menu and I really enjoy all the savoury. When we get to dessert day, I'm like, oh God, I don't want to eat like six or seven desserts. But you're doing that every time. Do you know what? When we had a savoury week, mm. um, which was usually around episode six, five or six. And by the time that came along, I mean, we were just absolutely desperate for a kind of sausage roll yeah, slash bet. scotch egg slash meat pie. Yeah. 
but um, Mary was always very, very disciplined. So she would eat like a little bird. You know, she'd do that thing. She'd eat a tiny bit of this, tiny bit of that. But we couldn't, for some reason, uh, we just couldn't do that. I think people have amazing self-control who can do that. I'm <laughs> terrible. I'm a glutton. So when people, you know, so chefs will say, oh, chef, can you just try this ice cream? I'll come over and I'll try it. I'll try it again. And they're like, you're no longer trying it. You're just eating it. I'll have you're like four, it. five, six spoonfuls. I'm like, how many more times do you need to try it? I can't control I, myself. I'm the same. I'm totally mm. the same as you. There was one thing. If it's nice. If it's nice. Yeah. Somebody once made, I forget who, on Bake Off. Oh, it was a goat. It was a goat milk ice cream. Mm. I couldn't do that. Really not? I mean, I'll eat pretty much anything. But I couldn't do that. Was it really goaty then? It was really goaty. And somebody once made a prawn meringue. Why? I don't know. To this day, I don't a know. Prawn meringue. So it was sweet with prawns, and I couldn't go was there. Was this either. a dessert or a savoury dish? God knows. Oh. Couldn't go there. Uh, I miss them actually. I miss the bakers. They were so much fun. Though I've not exposed Mel to many of our seasonal ingredients, I wanted to know how much of an impact the seasons played in her own food story. I feel like we're very much on the same page with the preserving. I think the way you've been brought up yeah. with all the pickles and preserves. Because the thing that I like to talk about in this podcast is sort of seasonal food and seasonal yeah. cooking. Yeah. Um, the, I, I always ask a question. There's certain things that I always think of like asparagus or something where it's only sort of available June. for a couple of months. Yeah. But it's amazing. Is there anything like that which is just like an ingredient where you're just like, oh God, I cannot wait to eat that Pears. again? Pears. Pears? Pear season. Ooh. I blooming love pears. Pears in all. Pear liqueur. Mmm, perry? Perry's really nice, isn't yeah. it? I only had a bit of perry like the other year. Two years yes. ago, I didn't even really know that it existed. Is it quite popular now? I don't know. I don't think it's very popular. It's not like cider, is it? But it's yeah. a really delicious drink. So delicious. I think pears is an amazing shot. No one's ever said that before either. So pears. Yeah, pears. I think also there's pears and there's pears. Like if you get a really good pear, like the sort of pear where you bite into it and the juice runs down your arm, that is what you want. That makes me cry <laughs> when you get a pear like that. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds really rude. It's a lovely pear. No, I, <laughs> honestly, that, that, makes, that can make me weep yeah. with joy. Our ethos is all about sustainability, but I found out that Mel has her own sustainable project. Nothing to do with food, though. But it is a podcast about electric cars. So you, you've got a new podcast that's come out, which yes. is Electric Cars. Yes. Yes. Do you eat much, do you get much food when you're doing that? Always. Yeah. I, I could imagine you could like plot your routes. You've got to find where your charging points are, but also where the food is, right? Well, this whole thing about charging, you know, we are going to have to spend a bit more time. It's not going to be like going to a petrol station mm. and just filling up, which takes a minute. Yeah. You're going to have to factor in, you'll have 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. So actually, I figure it's a really nice time to have snacks and have oh a coffee. Oh my God, I've just sort of thought, this could be a whole culture change. It could be amazing, it's like you go to a motorway service station and it, you haven't got the pick of really the most gourmet things that you actually want to eat. It's not really an event, is it? No, unless but, you're on the M6, Junction 39, <laughs> we all know what's there. The best service station in the country. It's, I mean, that's, yeah. I would go there on holiday. <laughs> Forget the Lake District. I'll just stop at Junction Thirty Nine and then just go home again. Exactly. But that is probably that might become the norm though, because if, if everyone's got twenty minutes to spend charging the car, they've got 
they want, do you actually want a good experience? Absolutely. You don't want to be just wandering around the standard fast food joint. I think, I think there's a niche there Oh too. my God, I need to get on this safe. I think you're the this person. This is the thing. But also, there's a whole sort of culture, I think, going to develop around the charging stations where people actually talk to each other. That'd and be nice, wouldn't it? There's not much else to do, is there? Yeah. And it's very quiet. You know, you're not mm. surrounded by sort of, you know, lots of noise. It's a very quiet experience charging an electric car. I've, I'm, I'm a convert, actually. I kind of thought when I started doing the podcast series, there are 10 episodes yeah. and we drive a different car each episode. I sort of thought, oh, God, it's going to be a bit like being in a milk float or, you know, <laughs> sewing machine. Very fast milk float. But I didn't realise... They're yeah. so nippy. Oh, totally, yeah. I mean, under, faster than a petrol engine. Yeah. I had no idea. What, which, what was the best car then? What was your favourite? Because people I, are going to listen and think like electric cars, or what, what would you get? Well, do you know what? It wasn't the big flash £150,000 Audi right. that we drove. The guys all loved that. They were all over it. I couldn't see the point. Mm. It was too wide. It was too low. And I felt like a bit of a plum, to be honest, <laughs> driving it. The one for me, there was a, it, was, it was the cheapest end of the range. They're not cheap, electric right. cars. You know, ugh, it's ridiculous. I would never spend this amount of money on a car. It's about £27,000. I would never spend that kind of money. Uh, a little MG. Oh, really? And so it, like a little sporty one? Yeah. But it was just so nice to drive. I would say that I could chat to Mel for hours, but we did. Maybe it was the effect of the purple parachute, which seems to have miraculously vanished from our glasses, but it's time to wrap things up. Mel, I've had so much fun. It's honestly been such a pleasure oh. uh, having, having you up, and I'm really looking forward to cooking for you tonight. I'm just so honoured and delighted and also excited. I think Seamus is going to put this cocktail on the menu, and it's great because if people don't like it, then we'll just blame you. <laughs> if people don't like it and there's a real surplus of it left, could you put it in cans? We could. Keep it for a future season. Yeah. Put it in the fridge. I'll come up, inviting myself, <laughs> really cocky, um, <laughs> and drink it when it's not snowing. Well, you're obviously welcome back anytime. We can have a purple parachute in the sun. That sounds really, really good. And I'll exercise all memories of vomiting it up on the paper. <laughs> Next week, I'm signaling the start of spring. It's official. We're welcoming some brand new ingredients onto the menu, and we're joined by Radio 1 DJ and amateur chef Clara Ampho, who is just in time to help my team in York prepare a batch of our brand new seasonal savoury cruffins. But if you don't know what a cruffin is, well, you better come back next week. For more information about Seasoned, check out my website www.tommybanks.co.uk or check us out on social media. If you've enjoyed the episode, please leave us a positive rating and a review. It would mean an awful lot to me and it really helps to support us and get this podcast off the ground. Most importantly though, tell your friends, tell someone else you've enjoyed it. Maybe they'll join us on our journey too. Seasoned is a What's the Story podcast. It's hosted by me, Tommy Banks, and produced by Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis.